Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about how toys shape children's self-image and worldview. There is a, an exhibition at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History called I See Me, and we're going to talk with the curator of that exhibit as well as an expert on this issue about how kids see themselves through their toys, how kids come to see themselves through the toys that uh, they play with and that you buy for them. Of course, we are also keeping our eyes today on the big news out of the auto industry, big shakeup at Ford with CEO Mark Fields being let go in favor of Jim Hackett. Uh, We are going to keep our eyes on that during this hour because at 945, there's going to be a press conference Uh, held about that. We'll see what news emerges from that. And of course, we will try to get some segments together on the show to talk about what is going on at Ford. I I think one of the important things to keep in mind there is that this is not just about an auto company or who leads an auto company. This is very much about the future of transportation in this country. Ford is one of the companies that is leading the charge really in terms of becoming a mobility company as opposed to a car company. And I am quite sure that this shakeup has a lot to do with that. But we will get to that when we learn the details. Of course, always uh, keep in mind as well, if you are going into work or have to move on with your day, you can still hear today's full edition of Detroit Today. All you got to do is go to iTunes or wherever else you download podcasts and download the Detroit Today podcast and you can take it with you. You can listen to it wherever or whenever you want. Uh, Up first, we have uh, a really important subject today that we want to talk about. Maria Garcia Juarez is getting ready to leave for Mexico this week as she faces deportation. That's despite the fact that she's caring caring for a baby and her leukemia-stricken husband. She has to leave them behind to avoid being detained. Juarez faces deportation because she stole two cars as a youth, but she's never really been to Mexico, at least not since she was a baby. In a recent article in Bridge Magazine, reporter Chastity Pratt-Dossie writes that Juarez, quote, has no real destination and no idea when she will be able to get back home to her family in Detroit. Uh, Joining me now is Maria Garcia Juarez uh, and Chastity Pratt-Dossie, who is a reporter at Bridge Magazine. Maria and Chastity, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Detroit. Yes. Hello. <laughs> uh, Maria, so uh, the, the, the reason we wanted to have you in uh, is because I think your story, more than, uh, more than a lot of the stories that I've been hearing in the last few months as we sort of see this really heightened uh, intensity around the question of deportation and immigration, I think your story adds context. It adds texture to that narrative in a way that's really important. A lot of times when we talk about these things, it's either or. People see them in very stark terms. Your life is anything but those sort of black and white terms. There is a lot going on, and there are a lot of reasons that you face the the consequence that you might be facing later this week. And so I wanted you to come in and, and tell your story about where you're from, how long you've been here, what your life is like, and then why you face deportation, uh, possible deportation later this week. Okay, so um, I came to the United States when I was eight months old. 
I came into California. My mother brought me in as a baby. Um, unfortunately, you know, my mother throughout my childhood, she was in and out of, she was in and out of jail, in and out of prison and uh, deported a few times. So definitely I didn't have a parent figure there. And I, um, you know, I fell into the wrong steps that is in my, you know, my youth when I, when I committed a, a two crimes of stealing a stolen vehicle. And, um, as soon, um, when I was 17 and I was in, in, in jail, um, ICE went to go pick me up. ICE picked me up, and they took me to an immigration facility out in Virginia. Um, as soon as I turned 18, I was released into my aunt's custody here in Taylor, Michigan. And um, as soon as I turned 18, I went into what's called removal proceedings, which basically I had to apply for something or I would be deported soon. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I hired an attorney that my, my family was already working with, uh, the attorney Charles Bussey. Um, he said my only option at that time was asylum, to apply for asylum, which I did. Um, I followed his advice. I, you know, I filed for asylum, which eventually got denied in 2016. It did buy me four years. Um, but during that time, I also married my husband. I met my husband. Um, you know, I, I married him. We have a child. We have a one and a half year old child. Um, so during that time, my, you know, my attorney really didn't advise me that I could possibly withdraw my application, which would, you know, uh, my asylum application, which would uh, benefit me in the way that I could apply for a waiver, a provisional waiver, which is the one you do inside the United States without having to leave. So I went through with my, you know, my asylum process, my courts, and it got denied, um, which turned into a deportation order. Um, I, you know, I, I appealed that, right? I appealed it once, it got denied. And then by the time it got, um, it got denied in January of this year. Uh, my husband was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, my attorney, which was now Corrine Sala, she advised me, you know, that instead of appealing a second time, which is my right to do, we can do a motion to reopen my case because I would qualify for what's called cancellation of removal. So we did that very, very quickly. Um, you know, I the, the, unfortunately, ICE, you know, I just their job is just to remove me from the country. So I filed I filed a stay through ICE so I would be able to stay here in the country, um, you know, until my motion, you know, would come through. Unfortunately, um, she denied my stay, even due to my husband's condition. They denied my stay. Um, so they gave me three weeks to leave. Mm-hmm. And that is actually up this Friday. Right. And I have to leave. Right. Uh, listening to your story, there are a number of I think uh, points in which it sort of intersects with the larger discussion about immigration in this country. The, the, the most obvious being the fact that you married a U.S. citizen. A lot of people think if you marry a U.S. citizen, you become a citizen, and they can't deport you. They can't send you back uh, somewhere else. Talk about why why that is not true in your case. Well, unfortunately, that's true. That's not true in a lot of cases. Um, but mine especially, it is, it's actually not true. I mean, I married a U.S. citizen, and regardless, I still have to, you know, I have to leave the, the country. Um, I had a removal order already set, um, and so I no longer qualify to do a provisional waiver inside the United States because of the removal order that from the judge for my asylum. That is where, that is, uh, you know, that's, that's why it's so difficult now. And now I have to leave the country for an undetermined period of time and still even take a big chance of even being able to come back due to my husband because because of this you know this 
the the situation I had as a juvenile. So I'm taking a really big chance leaving to Mexico of ever coming back. I don't know if I'll ever be able to come back. Right. Talk about your life here, which is the only life that you've known, and what makes you feel what makes you feel American? I mean, what what is it about? Uh, this country, what is it about being here, even in Metro Detroit, that, that makes you feel like this is home? Well, this has been home. The United States has been home from, you know, I, I grew up here. I grew up in California, and this is the only place I know that is home. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, very, it's very hard. Um, I went to school here. I have my whole family here. Um, you know, family that I have in Mexico, I don't have any contact with. Um, I went to school here and, you know, the family that I have here now living here in Detroit, you know, has really opened up my eyes. I've moved to a completely different environment over here and my family has always, you know, supported me. Um, I have my husband here. My life is set here. I I do not know the first thing about Mexico. I don't even know the currency there. So, you know, definitely going over there is very, very scary. It's terrifying. Um, I don't have a destination just yet. Um, You know, I've tried to contact, you know, pull family and see, you know, who, who can really help me, who can help me as soon as I get over there. But it's it's been very complicated. And definitely, I mean, this has always been my home. I've never even, I came here at eight months. I've never left to Mexico. I don't know the first thing about Mexico. I even took Spanish in high school because I didn't know, you know, I felt like English was always my first language. So definitely it's it's very hard and terrifying going over there. What about uh, the trouble that you got into as a teenager uh, talk about where your life was at that point. That that is ultimately the reason that uh, that you're that you're going to be deported, or that they want to deport you. What was going on? So I mean, at that time, throughout my whole childhood, and um, you know, I grew up without my mother. My father was never in the picture. Um, like I said, my mother was involved with drugs and um, you know, selling drugs also. So we definitely fell into the wrong steps, uh, I would say me and my siblings, you know, we were very misguided, didn't have a, you know, parent figure there. Um, so, you know, I, I got involved with the wrong crowd um, and I made a wrong decision of stealing a car. And, you know, at that time, honestly, I felt like, you know, my life had really no no point. There was no point. I, my mother wasn't there. You know, we were left with whoever, you know, when, you know, CPS got involved. I mean, they they took a brother here. They took my sister there. And we were always jumping around to whoever could really take care of us. So I really felt like nobody really cared. And and how did you get from there to the space where you are now? I mean, lots of us make mistakes mm-hmm. when we're young people. Uh, they don't always come back to haunt us as mm-hmm. adults. But, but talk about that transition from that life to this one. Well, definitely, it's a big transition. Um, you know, I came to somewhere where people really, where my family cared about me, where my aunt took me in. She took care of me like a mother. Um, there was definitely that support and love I always needed. As soon as I got here, I mean, it's a whole completely different environment. This is to Detroit. Detroit, yeah. and a completely different environment. I, I was in Taylor, at, you know, as soon as I got here. My aunt lives there. Um, but definitely, you know, this area is different. It was a new chance at life for me. You start over. You don't, you know, you don't see the same people. You, you know, you have this family who supports you and loves you and gives you the help you need. And that's, that's what it, you know, that's where everything was here. You know, I should have came here sooner, but unfortunately, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. 
Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Maria Garcia Juarez. She is set to leave the U.S. this week uh, due to a deportation order. Uh, also with us is Chastity Pratt Dossi, a reporter at Bridge Magazine. She has written about Juarez's case. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, we are talking about deportation. We're talking about immigration. How complicated the stories are that involve the people who are at the center of these debates. Lots of times when we talk about immigration and deportation, people talk in very black and white, very stark terms about what is going on in this country. I think when you talk with somebody who is in the middle of it, you get a really different picture, a complicated picture, a really difficult picture to sort of look at and say, well, this is right or this is wrong. That's why we're talking with Maria Juarez this morning. Uh, Her story is that complication. It is that texture and nuance. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Tell us what you think about the idea of deporting someone who has been in the country since they were eight months old, even though they may have made some mistakes while they were here. Is this the way we ought to be conducting U.S. policy around this issue? Ought we be hearing more about these complications, about these stories, about the people who are at the center of these policies before we make decisions about what will happen. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Chastity, you've been writing about Maria's case. Uh, talk about what what stands out here for you and what she's talking about. Well, it's very, very layered. Uh, when we talk about ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, and their priorities for who they go after for deportation orders, that is really the thing that 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 um, I guess drew me into the story because there are um, uh, laws on the books that allow people who are, you know, um, children brought in as children, brought into the United States as children and are undocumented immigrants. Uh, there's, a, you know, means for them to apply and stay here in the United States. That also drew me into this um, story because, you know, you would think that her case would be one of those. Well, she's here since she's eight months old. Surely she can um, you know, they call it DACA, D-A-C-A. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I can't think of what it stands for, but it's basically deferred yeah. action against uh, children who have been brought here. And I thought, well, she's here since she's eight months old. Of course she'll be able to stay. Well, there's so many layers to the laws and so many uh, changes that are underfoot now that the administrations have changed. This, this, this is, you're right, her case definitely illustrates just how complex these, these cases are. You're talking about families here who have children, who have children in school, who families that are braided into the inner workings of our society. So it's not as simple as you don't have papers, you have to leave. Um, I mean, she has a husband also who has um, leukemia and a child here. And there are ways for her, like she's explained, typically to say, look, there's a hardship here. There's a hardship that will be created for these American citizens if I leave. But, you know, again, she was denied over and over and over again. And there's another part of this case. Her initial attorney 
is going to prison because he, you know, was involved in bribing ICE officials in other cases. There's, you know, there's so many things going on with her case that you would think, okay, wait a minute. At at some point, someone in ICE is going to say... Wait, let's step back and look at let's all of hang these things. Hang on a second here, right? Yeah, I mean, from the 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 attorney who's going to prison, who quite honestly probably gave her, you know, some bad advice along the way. I mean, he's 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 been bribing people. He's going to prison. <laughs> then, you know, the husband and the child, and she's been here, and really, it all boils down to this. Let me break it down for you. She stole two cars as a youth, so now she has to go. There are people who are here. Who are American citizens? Does any of us want people looking back at what we did at fifteen, seventeen, and making a determine about our determination about our lives? Well, I mean, the the trajectory of her life was very much influenced by the American environment in which she was raised as well. So, at what point is the American environment at all part and parcel of what happened to her? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we talk about uh, these stories, uh, again, that lack of that lack of complication comes up, I, th- I think, not frequently enough. Uh, Maria, you live here in the metro area. Uh, talk about what the environment is like in your community right now, given what's going on. I mean, I know this is a very personal story for you, but it's also a community story. Yeah, that's that's actually true. I mean, in this community, especially in southwest Detroit, I mean, you see people getting detained left and right. I mean, every day there's... Um, you know, there's something going on. Someone got deported. Someone just got stopped. Just for not having a license, you get taken in. So, um, you know, all, all this, you know, all this, the situation, what's going on right now, it's it's definitely, it affects me a lot. You know, I really got involved with this whole immigration, you know, immigration stuff. And um, it really breaks my heart seeing how many families are torn apart. And it, it even, you know, it makes me even sadder knowing that I'm probably in the same or worse situation that they are. And it's it's definitely heartbreaking. I wish I could help these people, and I know how it feels. And definitely living in Southwest Detroit, you just never stop seeing immigration. I mean, someone's getting detained. Yeah. yeah. But from what I'm hearing, it's it's far different now since uh, the, the administration's changed, the president's changed. It's a little more The aggressive. policies have changed. The priorities have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Mike in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, my perspective on it is that as a retired attorney and also as the grandson of immigrants to this country, and I just want to say that I think a lot of uh, a lot of folks out there, whom you might think are ogres, evil Trump supporters, uh, blah blah blah, all this kind of thing. No, a lot of us are in a place where our grandparents and great grandparents really, really went through years and years and years of personal ordeal to get legal in this country. And uh, the example I cite in my own life was a great-grandparent who came over here, worked in Detroit, Michigan, for 11 years before everything was right where he could send for his sweetheart back in the old country. That's the way it was done. We had the laws on the books, and people followed the laws. And for folks out there to be saying, 
Trump is evil, the Republicans are evil, they hate immigrants, they hate Roman Catholics, they hate Mexicans. That's a bunch of malarkey. What it is, is people are sore that there is an expectation now that all of a sudden we're supposed to throw out years and years of immigration law because, uh, you know, we just don't like it. And there's hard luck stories that, you know, you can run on Oprah or some other TV show where everybody feels bad. Uh, it's just, it's a shame what happens when some people get trapped like this, but that's the way. So, well, so, Mike, the- so Mike, let me ask you, let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, you told the story about your great, great grandparents. Uh, is that a story that, that, you know, doesn't involve any illegal immigration or is that the story that you've been told by your family? No, I actually researched everything one time. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a site uh, called ellisisland.org, sure. and, and I did, I did, uh, I, I actually learned a lot of this from there. But then, you know, put it together anecdotally with uh-huh. people. And so, uh, and so, and so, so if you've done that, then if you've done that research, you know that even back then, immigration laws were full of incredible bias against people from certain countries, right? I'm not sure what country your ancestors came from, but it, it, the fact that they came here legally means they were allowed to come here over other people who may have had just as good a story, who may have had just as a big a yearning for the opportunity of this country and were not allowed in because of what country they were from, because of racism, really, Mike. They're I mean, the far, idea, the far. idea that 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 somehow things have always been fair until now, I think, is really problematic. There are people in Mexico who come here undocumented because they know it would take them twenty, thirty years to get a visa. Right, and that's not the case with many European countries and Canada. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. No, no one. There's no Ellis Island for Mexican uh, immigrants. Right. Right. African immigrants also uh, uh, an example of where uh, it's just not the same. And, uh, you know, Mike, I really appreciate your your call. I really appreciate your comments. I appreciate your listening to the show. But I think the narrative you're spinning here is part of the problem. This idea that somehow all most immigrants people, are created equal sure, or that most people who came here a long time ago are somehow uh, uh, different from the people who want to come here now is part of the the, the very troubling the very troubling narrative. Well, I think it. a lot of people you hit it right on the head. People think that all um, people who want to immigrate to the United States came on the same you know even you know playing field. It's right. not the same it's for not everyone true. who our history born. is our history is again, more complicated than that in this country. All right. Um, again, Mike, thank you very much for the call. Uh, Harold in Midtown, you're up next. Uh, yeah, how you doing? I have a question. Uh, didn't the first lady, uh, uh, the first lady, didn't she overstay her work visa when she came here in Mountland? I, I, I think that's true. I don't, I don't know the details of that, but I do believe that, uh, uh, that there, there, are, there were some immigration questions there. And, and again, that's not a pejorative, right? That's not a, a, a criticism so much as it's just a, an expression of reality. People come to this country under many, many, many different circumstances, and they end up here uh, often through circumstances that, that at times take them in and out of the auspices of immigration law. Uh, that doesn't mean 
that we ought to send them back. That doesn't mean we ought to not address the, the, the terms of their immigration. It does mean that we need to think a little harder, I think, about how we talk about this stuff, uh, how we think about these things, and how we craft policy uh, around it. Um, Maria, I, I want to ask you, when you hear someone like Mike say the things that he did, that why didn't you just come here legally like everybody else and, and work hard? What is that? What is that? How do you react to that? Um, definitely, I mean, it, I can't say it, it makes me mad, but definitely, um, it's it's kind of upsetting. People don't really understand that every situation is different. I didn't come here by choice. Um, you know, maybe if my mother would have, you know, raised me in Mexico, I would have loved to be in Mexico. I don't, I don't know, but I didn't come here by choice. I didn't get the chance to come here legally. I did not get that opportunity. Like I said, I was brought in as a child. My mother made that choice for me, so. Definitely people people have, you know, their own opinion, um, but definitely every story is different. And mine is not, you know, it's very complicated. But if I could have came here legally, I would have. Right. I didn't get that opportunity. Right, right. There Again, another complication. You were brought here as an infant. You had no <laughs> choice in that matter. Uh, and so why should you be the person who bears the consequences uh, for that choice as, as an adult? Great question. Uh, let's take one more call here. Daniel in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me on the yeah, air again. Sure. You know, I think that she is a great candidate for amnesty, you know, especially based on her family situation right now. Without her family situation and her husband being ill and her family uh, on the verge of suffering because she's leaving, uh, you know, she broke the law. And the laws are the law. But at what point do we get a handle on this illegal immigration in this country? You know, I didn't vote for Trump, but I'm for I'm all for getting a handle on this because it's completely out of control. Well, what what tells you it's out of control? Well, there's there's how many? What is it? Eleven million people in this country illegally right now. Uh, uh, Would you consider that to be out of control? I, well, I mean, so if you look at what's happened over the last eight years, I mean, we're at the lowest level of people coming here illegally in, I don't know, in decades. I mean, I, I guess my argument would be that we already have been trying to get a handle on illegal versus legal immigration and that this idea that there's a crisis now I think is somewhat manufactured. I guess I'd also make the point that perhaps the crisis is fueled by immigration law itself, right? I mean, maybe immigration law ought to be looked at to deal with opportunity and the opportunity that people seek to come to this country in an even-handed way or maybe in a more even-handed way. Look at the way, for instance, immigration deals with people who have money versus people who don't. That's an, it's, an, it's an expression of inequality that helps create the situation that we have. Nobody wants to talk about changing immigration law, for instance, to deal with those things. Why can't it look more like it did when people like the caller who had uh, called before talked about his great-great-grandparents coming here just because they wanted opportunity? That's really hard to do in America today. And yet you have millions of people here in this country who benefited from that. Is it fair to now say that newer people who want to come to America can't? Uh, Daniel, I guess I'm not arguing with you about what you're saying. I'm saying, again, I think there's a, there's a much fuller picture uh, behind, uh, behind those ideas 
that that ought to inform the way we're talking about these things. You say it's out of control. I say it's it's less out of control than it has been in a long time. And so what what is the, the, the emergency that we're talking about? But then I also say, let's look at immigration law and the role that it played in creating what you say is out of control. Go ahead, Chastity. A uh, few things. One, amnesty is really hard to prove from what I'm being told by the attorneys I spoke with while researching Maria's story. You have to really prove that you are, as an as an individual, will be targeted for some kind of political, social, um, you know, um, just damnation when you get there. And so that's really hard to prove for someone who's never been there, especially in her case. Um, and also, um, they they really came down on her heart because of the juvenile um, cases and, and some some people in, in ICE and immigration they didn't even want to hear it because of that, because of her um, her her juvenile case. And uh, there was also a part where she was in a car with someone who was a gang member. So they threw that at her. Well, she must be a gang member. So they they really made her amnesty case hard harder um, because of that. And just to talk. Uh, quickly about the whole idea of immigration being out of control. My question is, well, what is the control? What, where are the controls? What is out of control? Um, you know, people who immigrate to the United States, whether they're documented or undocumented, have a much lower unemployment rate, <laughs> have a much lower uh, uh, rate of uh, crime rate. So what is out of control? And, uh, you know, where, why do we put it in terms like that? Right. What are and we really saying? Where, where do we bear responsibility of uh, having controls that make sense for not only the people who want to come here, but for the United States? You know, think about it. Well, a couple of weeks ago, there was this march, of, you know, a day without immigrants. What happens if these undocumented workers just poof, disappeared one day? Well, these people are, are, are part of the fabric of the United States workforce in, in communities. Southwest Detroit is far more densely populated than any other part of the city. Yeah, yeah, no, that's you know, right. So where, where are, uh, what are the controls and where are... And what, are we, what are we really what do talking we want? about? What do we want? What do we, we say saying? things are out of, out of out control? Of, out of control because we haven't figured out a way to help them to become documented citizens out of control because there are so many brown people. What does out of control really mean? Right. Right. Uh, Maria, uh, Friday is the day that that uh, that you might face this this consequence. Talk about what could happen in the next few days that might that might change that outcome. OK, so um, during this uh, this time, you know, I've been desperately looking. Um, I had the idea that, you know, I would have to leave to, to Mexico. I had no other choice. And um, just I, I was looking for an attorney to do my waivers from Mexico. Um, so I, I was looking around and I came across an attorney, Brad Thompson, and, um, he looked into my case and, you know, I originally hired him, you know, was looking for him actually, um, to do my waivers from Mexico to see, you know, as soon as I get over there, can you, you know, please do my waiver so I can try to come back as soon as possible. I explained my case to him and, you know, he did say my case is a, is a bit complicated. He actually sent me to another attorney to Russell Aubreton, I believe that's his last name. And. You know, he said, you know, ask for his advice, see what, you know, see what he suggests, because at the beginning, Brad Thompson think I would be barred. You know, I actually, you know, because of this, you know, gang affiliations they, they put on my record, he believes I'll be barred for life from coming back, even with the waiver. Yeah. So he's like, definitely, you know, get get his opinion. If he says, yes, go, you know, have a good chance, go ahead and, you know, go forward with it, come back to me. And, you know, we could, um, you know, we could, I'll do your waivers. So. 
I went with him. I get, I went with Russell and, you know, he said, I definitely think, you know, it's a high risk. It's a very high risk, but I don't think you'll be barred for life, you know. So I went back to Brad Thompson and now um, I've hired him to do my, you know, to do my waivers. Um, but something that did come up in both conversations with both attorneys, they both, um, you know, they asked me, you know, that why didn't I apply for DACA? And I told them every attorney has advised me not to, which I went through maybe four or five attorneys that had advised me not to go through DACA. I did not qualify. And that's the the um, the the means by which she could stay because she was right. brought here as a child. Because she was brought here as a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they both told me you still can apply. Um, as far as they'll deny it, there's you know there's always a risk they could you know deny it due to their discretion, but under the law you are still eligible. Because uh, the law says, you know, juvenile adjudications, because my, my things were not convictions, they were adjudications. So it's like under the law, um, it says that juvenile adjudications do not have immigration consequences. That's exactly what it says in the book. So both attorneys said it is worth a try. So, you know, Brad Thompson gave me a letter to turn to ICE um, this Friday, you know, saying, can I apply for an emergency stay so I would get the chance to you know, apply for DACA and see what result that is. And my ICE officer, you know, she was very blunt, very straightforward. She says, you know, he knows the procedure. Um, You know, if he wants to do this, come and bring me the paperwork. So I'm actually seeing him tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning, and we are going to, you know, file an emergency stay with with ICE. Uh, As of that'll get approved, I don't know, since my ticket plane is already, you know, it's, it's set to leave this Friday. I don't know if she'll approve it or... It'll buy me a few more days. I don't know at this point, but that's really what you know. That's your last, your last option. Chance. Mm-hmm. Okay. My last chance. All right, uh, Maria Garcia Juarez, uh, Chastity Pratt Dossi. Thank you both for being here on Detroit today. Thank, thank you. you. And of course, good luck to you this week, Maria. Thank you. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about toys and how they shape a child's view of race, gender, and their own place in society. Stay with us on Detroit today.